0: Let me start the little thing over here, sorry. As we read in the Gospel account, uh, John chapter 10, we see that Yeshua HaMashiach celebrated Hanukkah. Amen. Hanukkah had been a holiday for about 123 or so years, thereabouts, by the time the Messiah was present here on, on earth. And uh, so holiday, uh, the Hanukkah celebration... As I mentioned in the Aliyah, you know, he traveled all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem uh, during the wintertime, which is no small, no small task. People, um, people don't realize that it gets cold in Jerusalem, it snows there, it's not a desert, it's a, actually a mountainous area. And so he traveled there to celebrate uh, Hanukkah. And to uh, be a part of the Feast of Dedication, and I think I might do maybe if I have if I at some point I I'd like to do a little video short, not too involved, but a little video on uh, the history of Christmas, the Christmas holiday. And and I don't want to be snarky about it because a lot of people do that kind of stuff and they're kind of snarky, but I don't. I just want to be educational, you know. So uh, because I think that. Whereas our lights, sorry about our lights. We're we're working on this. We're having to. I think our lights are getting ready to go be with the Lord, and so so just pray for them. We'll have to do Kaddish in the light world for that. Anyway, um, but in any, in any case, I think that uh, mo, whereas most people have been trained, unfortunately, erroneously, to believe that it doesn't matter what you celebrate or how you celebrate, so long as you make it about God. That's actually in direct contradiction to the scriptures actually. It actually is. And I, I you know where God tells us explicitly in black and white do not copy the nations styles of worship. they their meaning their celebrations. You're not allowed to do that. Period. It doesn't mean it doesn't it doesn't matter if you say well I'm going to take what they did and I'm going to forget about everything that it means and I'm just going to make it now about God and the Messiah, you're forbidden to do that according to the Bible, which we're supposed to follow. Um, And I think that whereas most people have been conditioned to not care about that, it makes absolutely no difference to them whatsoever, you could tell them all day long what the different things of that particular holiday represented mean, as an example, not to get off on this, but just as an example. I know my wife goes, but you're doing it anyway. I <laughs> but as an example, Santa Claus is his, where, somebody, where did Santa Claus come from? There's a nice little story out there that's a complete myth that Santa Claus comes from some saintly person who went around giving gifts to children. Unfortunately, that is completely false. It's total made-up history, and St. Nicholas or some nonsense like that is actually completely bogus. Somebody, something somebody made up to make it okay. In reality, the original Santa Claus, which was a, a man who lived like in the four, he was originally Santa Claus, if you look up the old depictions of him, he wasn't wearing a red suit, that actually came from Coca-Cola. The originally he was like a, he was like a Nordic guy with like Nordic clothes on. And he wore, he rode a, a, a flying horse and he gave gifts to children. Who was he? He was the, in, a, in a dark place. He was, um, he was the Nordic god Odin, who was supposed to be the father of Thor. Okay, that's just one example. And it gets worse from there. Okay. So I think that some people, though, when they hear things like that, and they didn't know what they didn't know, they hear things like that, and they're like, what? What? Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to me. When I heard something like that, I'm like, are you kidding me? And I, went, I, didn't go to, I didn't have to go to some goofy website, like, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, crazybelievers.com. I went to, I went to places like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Right? I went to reputable, and it's, this is so well known, they even make fun of it sometimes, they joke about it, I should say, on some of the sitcoms. If you ever watched some of the sitcoms. In fact, there was a sitcom, it's really not a good sitcom, but I saw a clip of it, somebody sent me one time. What's it called? Um, Big Bang Theory. And they go through this whole thing, uh, one of their Christmas specials, and the guy who's the main character, he goes through this whole rant about the history of Christmas. And, of course, you know, what's funny about it is it's true. Right. My wife actually happens to have a, uh, original print original print copy of an 1861 publication called The Woman's Repository. And it, was a, uh, and it was printed every year, and it was all kinds. Of, it's like a Reader's Digest type thing. It's a big old thick book like this. And in that book, there is actually a, an article about history coming to America. I mean, excuse me, Christmas coming to America. Because prior to 1860, there was no Christmas in the United States. Amen. At all. Amen. And so when this publication was tell, introducing people to it, which had been going on in Europe, since the Roman Empire, because it was originally, December 25th, was originally about the uh, birthday of the, the pagan deity Sol Invictus, right. the sun god of Rome, who Constantine worshipped. Right. Right. Should talk about it I should talk about it sometime in a video. <laughs> nice. Anyway... This this article in this publication actually gives all the detailed history of this holiday. Yeah, that's right. In detail. Sweet. Right? Talks about the little demons we call elves. And they were like, they were, their original names were mischief, um, mimic, uh, disorderly, and other things. And they, they would follow this... God Odin around. He was this little demon. And we teach people, we teach our children to pray to Santa. Write him a letter. That's called prayer. We're teaching them to pray to a, to a God Odin. I mean, really. It's, and we think it's cute and funny. And see, here's the problem. We think it's cute and fun. We're like, oh, but it's, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know that's all true and everything, but because I can't deny it because there's nothing, like, there's no, there's it's, it's a historical fact, okay? It's, it's not opinion, and, but you know what? It's, but it's about the love and about the joy and about the. That's what they also say about homosexual marriage. Mm. That's right. Mm. My so you're like, I'm totally against homosexual marriage. I think that's a, that's a that's a moral decay of our society. But wait, it's about the love and about the joy and about <laughs> the. But no, I'm not going to accept that. Then why would you accept this? That's right. That's right. That's right. It's on. not really what I'm here to talk about today. But I thought I would introduce it because it's Hanukkah. What's true, though, is that Yeshua celebrated Hanukkah. Yes. And aren't we supposed to be doing what he did? Amen. That's what I was taught. Right. I was taught we were supposed to be doing what he did. Amen. Amen. Not what the Romans did, but what the Jews did. Right. Amen. But that's neither here nor there. I want to speak about this power of Miketz. Oh, wait. Let's do my prayer. Thank you, Zagan Rayford. <clears throat> Uh, let's say our prayer, our blessing, I should say. <clears throat> I get carried away. Yeah. Blessed are you, Abner, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Abner, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. Amen. Parashah Miketz, I want to hone in on a particular um, line of thinking, I I guess. There's so much to share here. Let me pull out the Midrash Rabbah, pardon me. Uh, But I want to hone in on a particular line of thinking about looking at Yosef. looking at Yosef, in the light of, in the light of (laughs) Yosef, in the light of, of looking at Messiah, let me back up, in the light of Yosef. And one of the things I want to focus in on is this concept of the rejected Messiah. What people may or may not realize is that Uh, the Messiah had to be rejected. And a lot of people are mad at us Jews. We've been called throughout all of our history Christ killers, Christ deniers. People are scared today to live the life that Yeshua lived, which is Judaism, because they've been trained and conditioned to believe that Jews are the devil because they betrayed the Messiah. People have been trained and conditioned by and I say this just as a matter of fact, not as a condemnation necessarily, but they've been trained by ignorant men and women. Ignorant just means you don't know something. It, that can be that can be fixed. Stupid can't be fixed. But ignorance can be fixed. Yes, that's right. So people have been trained by ignorant people, people who are ignorant of biblical history, ignorant of Judaism. They've been trained to believe, and they've trained others to believe, that the Pharisees were the enemy. And it's the exact opposite. Yeshua said to the Pharisees, the well don't need a doctor. He was talking to them. Which he was a part of. He said, now the reason I've got sinners coming here is because the well, all of us, you guys don't need a doctor. But they do. So he was saying to the Pharisees, y'all are fine. Now he did rebuke the Pharisees. But the rebuke was, stop being hypocritical. Live up to what your, what your mouth is saying you need to be doing. A rebuke is, happens when you love somebody. When you love somebody, you rebuke them. Right. When you love your kids, you rebuke them. Sure. Hey, that ain't right. You need to uh no, no 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 sir, no ma'am. But if you don't love them, i will do whatever they want. I don't care. That's somebody who doesn't doesn't love anybody. Right. So yes it, as it turns out, as we're seeing the pattern from Yosef's life, what we're seeing is that by the fact that the Jewish people rejected the Messiah, we actually, unbeknownst to us, just like the brothers, were playing a part in the salvation of the world. So instead of hating the Jews for rejecting Messiah, we should be saying, thank you. Thank you. Because had you not done that, the the world would not know. And there wouldn't be so many converts to the covenant. Now, eventually... The Jewish nation, our brothers and sisters, are going to come to realize that he's a Messiah. And by the way, they won't come to realize it because they're being all thrown into hell fire. It says that they'll look upon him and they will mourn. What does that mean? It means they'll make tshuva. The pattern is right here. The pattern is, listen, the brothers... 10 brothers cast Yosef into a pit. We learn in our insights that God provoked them to do that. He goaded them into doing that. Why? Because Hashem knew if they did not reject Yosef, if they would have said to Yosef, you know what? I accept your dream and I willingly bow my knee to you right now. If all brothers had done that, He would have never gone to Egypt and Egypt would have never gotten saved. Egypt would have never known about God. And think about it, all the 1.4 million mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, they weren't Jewish, they came out with the Exodus, would have never come out had it not been for Joseph. 1.4 million. The mixed multitude was not some little group some little pickup truck full of guys. It was 1.4 million people. Non-Jewish. 600,000 Jews. 1.4 million non-Jews who all went to Sinai and we all converted together. We, yes, we all got circumcised together and when at the end of the day we walked away from Sinai all one family. Jew. All Jewish. Now, 10 brothers cast Joseph into a pit. That is not by coincidence. There were 11 brothers. There were 12 altogether, right? But there were 11, including Benjamin. But Benjamin wasn't there that day. He wasn't there. He wasn't part of the group. There was 10. The reason why there had to be 10 is because 10 constitutes a congregation in Judaism. There had to be unity among the brethren to say, we reject you. The reality is, is that every single Jew that was alive at the moment y- Yosef was alive, rejected Yosef. Every Jew rejected him. The father rejected him and the, and, and the sons rejected him. And they all said, you will never be king over us. One of us is going to be king, most likely Judah. But you will never be king over us, ever. And yet he was the one brother who ended up being king over them. Uh, So it says here in the book of Yochanan, chapter 19, and verses 14 through 15, it was the day of preparation for Pesach, about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Judean leaders, behold, your king. And they shouted back, take him away. Take him away and execute him. Pilate said to them. should I execute your king? And the ruling Koenim, these are the Sadducees, Sadducees, not the Pharisees. These are the Sadducees. That's the Koenim. They said to him, we have no king but Caesar. By the way, can I just add add, add something here for educational purposes? A Pharisee would have never said that. A Pharisee would have never come out of his mouth, we have no king but Caesar. You know why? Because Caesar is a god in the pagan world, and the Pharisees was forbidden to acknowledge other deities. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were Hellenists, supporters of the enemies of the Maccabees. Solo scriptura people, so pious. And they were the ones who would willingly say, hey, we we support Caesar. Why? Because Caesar was paying them. A Pharisee would have never said that. So these are the Sadducees that are turning on Messiah. But the point, in fact, is is that they're all saying, you're not the Mashiach of us. You're not the Mashiach. So the pattern here, here. is that all of the Jews rejected the the Messiah. The anti-missionary's criticism is, how can you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah when all of Judaism rejects Yeshua? How can you possibly think he's the Mashiach since we all universally agree he's not the Messiah? Well, the answer to that is, the fact that he is universally rejected is actually a critical clue that he is the Messiah. In fact, if we look at the uh, Messiah textbook, and it says in here in a Midrash, Menachem ben Amiel will come suddenly in the month of Nisan. Menachem, the comforter of Amiel. Amiel uh, is a word that that refers uh, to the Mashiach. He will come suddenly in the month of Nisan. And will stand in the plain of Arbel. Arbel is the Galilee. And all the sages of Israel will go out to him. And he will say to them. I am son of Amiel the Mashiach. Who the Lord has sent to give you good tidings. And to save you from the hand of your oppressors. And it says here in this ancient Midrash. And the sages will look at him and despise him. They will despise him. Why, by the way, again, looking at the life of Yosef, why does the scripture prophesy about the Mashiach that I will call my son out of Egypt? Now, we have said many times before that son of God does not mean God's little baby boy. Amen. Right. That is not what that means. Son of God means, king of Israel. That's what that means. That's the literal meaning. And it comes from the book of Psalms. Talking about the king of Israel, today I have begotten you. Okay? It does not mean little baby boy. So, when it says, I called my son, my king, out of Egypt, what does it mean? Why did the Messiah have to go to Egypt? Why did he have to go to Egypt? Because that's where Yosef came up out of. Yosef was in Egypt, he's the type and shadow of Yosef, or Yosef is the type and shadow of the Messiah. Yosef descended to Egypt and came up out of Egypt, and eventually made his way, in his casket of course, all the way to, uh, to Shechem, where he was buried. And it was in the merit of Yosef to say, to say that the Red Sea was parted. So out of Egypt I call my son. Incidentally, we know that Messiah wasn't born in the winter. We know that by reading the Gospels. Right. Because it says the, the shepherds were out in the field, sleeping in the field. Shepherds in Jerusalem don't sleep in the field in the wintertime because it's cold. Yeah. Uh, so we know just by reading the Gospels, he was not born in December. Right. For sure. It's, it's the, right there. But we also know he wasn't, when the, when, the, when the wise men found him, and there weren't just three, there was actually more than three. Never says there were three wise men, just says there were three gifts. But anyway, when the wise men, when the magi found him, he wasn't an infant in the manger. Right? Because when he was born, they saw the star and they started out on their journey. Well, what is he in the manger? A little baby boy for like years? It, when they found him, he was about two years old. Which is why Herod had all the babies two years old and under killed. But he goes from Egypt, out of Egypt I call my king. Where does he go? He goes where? To the land of Yosef, to Nazareth. Why? Because his mission is to be Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef. So he goes to the land of Yosef to start the mission of Yosef. That's why when he returns, he's not going to go to the Galilee. When he returns, he's coming to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's coming to the land of David. Because he's going to reign as David, king of Israel. <laughs> Think about it. There's been many Messiah figures within, uh, within, Jeru- within Judaism. There has been many people throughout the, the centuries who have claimed to be the Messiah and uh, who, uh, and, and in fact, the, 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 probably the most significant of all was Shabbatai Zevi in the early 1700s. And all of Judaism thought that he was the Messiah. Everybody, not just a few people, the entire nation Everybody. spread out thought he was going to be the He was the Messiah. But no matter if you're talking about Shabbat, Shabbatai's V, or you're talking about Nachman, or you're talking about uh, Schneerson, or you're talking about a, a plethora of others, what other Messiah figure has been so harshly treated? What other Messiah figure has been, ever been crucified? Which one has ever ridden into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey? Right. Which one has ever been born in Bethlehem? Which one ever had a ministry in the land of Joseph? Not one. Which one has ever been uni- uni- universally rejected by Israel? Not one of them. Wow. The fact that he is universally rejected by his brothers is proof, positive, that he's the Mashiach. And that's what I really wanted to hone in on with you. It says here, actually, if you think about it, there are three primary Messianic figures in Jewish history. They're redeemers, if you will. Yosef, who we're talking about now. Moses and King David. In each case, we're all familiar with the fact that Yosef was universally rejected by his brothers. We're studying that right now. We see crystal clear he was totally rejected. We, most of us know that Moses was totally rejected. He was called to be God's Redeemer. And when he showed up to be the Redeemer, all the people were like, get out of here. You're making it worse on us. They did, they, he, was, he was also universally rejected. Now today, we all love Yosef. Today, we all love Moses. He's Moses, you know, our teacher. Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, we say, but when we were there, we all were like, no, you're not the guy. Even when he, he, he was trying to bring peace between two Jews who were fighting, they said, oh, you're going to bring peace to us? You're the guy who just killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand? We rejected Yosef. We rejected Moses. Now, most people don't know that we also rejected David. Yes. David was totally rejected. Yes. Despised, in fact. Mocked completely and utterly considered, not even a Jew, much less. Now, this is interesting about David, because David, out of the three, is the only one who we said to him, you're not even Jewish, much less king. And we say about Yeshua, we say the same thing. You're not Jewish, much less king. And here's the problem. And, you know, some people who are watching, some people who are here, you come from Christian backgrounds. And I I get it because we were we did, too. And sometimes when you hear things, it can be a little jarring, and I totally understand. It's kind of like the doctor who's trying to prepare you for the procedure. This is going to be a little uncomfortable, you know. It's going to be a little uncomfortable, but unfortunately, you know, but it'll, it, the pain will last for a moment. But here's the here's the thing: is that you know we 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 don't understand that the Jewish people rejected the Messiah and they said, look, you're not even Jewish. Especially today. Like, you're not even Jewish, much less the king of Israel. How can you be king of Israel? Everything about you is antithetical to Judaism. Which, by the way, is equivalent with Scripture. And the the Christian church, here's the problem. And the Christian people are good people. and They love God and they mean well. They're just... They're ignorant, and I mean that from the standpoint of they just don't know what they don't know. But that can be fixed. And here's the problem: the Christian message exasperates and confirms the Jewish doubt, because we put up Jesus, who is totally not Jewish. Most Christians, here's what's crazy: most Christians, you say you're a Christian. Did you know that Jesus is Jewish? And they're like, what? How could you not know that? Yeah. But people are so detached yeah. from this that, that, that we put up a Messiah who's completely Roman. Right. That's right. That's right. Who teaches people to be pagan. Right. Whenever we have his birthday celebration or his resurrection celebration, the main course is him. Which is exactly what Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed on the altar in the temple. He sacrificed a hog on the temple altar in order to mock God. And we serve hog to celebrate the birth of Messiah and his resurrection. And we wonder why the Jews say he ain't the Messiah. And then you have people running around saying Yeshua was sinless. And the Jew says, to sin is to break the commandments. And he broke the commandments. He teaches people to not eat kosher. And then the Christian says, he made all foods clean. And the Jew says, thank you, you just made my cakes. That's right, right. <laughs> and the Jewish person says, he broke the Sabbath. He doesn't care about the Sabbath. And the, and the Christian person says, no, he doesn't. We're not supposed to keep the Sabbath at all. In fact, we forget it. We just keep Sunday. And the Jew says, thank you, you just made my cakes. In our gospel of the, of the Messiah, we actually deny him. Amen. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Yes wow. true. We're throwing our hat in the ring and saying he's definitely not the Messiah, all the while saying that he is. That's crazy. And the people that do this, like we once did, love God. Yes I used to believe all of that. I taught it all. Amen. And I love God. And he loved me so much that he sat me down one day and said, Son, <laughs> 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 Listen, boy. <laughs> and I had the grace of God enough to go, Whoa, wait, wait, what? What? And I don't know, I'm nobody special. I'm really not. I just like authenticity. authenticity yes. If I'm going to eat butter, I want butter. Amen. Amen. If I'm going to drink some cream, I want cream. Amen. What's this non-fat cream? That's, what is that? <laughs> I don't want low-fat ice cream. If I'm going to eat some ice cream, I want it all. Uh. Amen. Come on. And when it comes to God, I want the real thing. Amen. And if it's phony, I don't want it. Right. Right. Amen. And there's a lot of this, and please listen to me, and I know, because I've been through all of this, a lot of this is just, we, we're taught things and we hold on to it because it's nostalgia and we love it and it means a lot to us and at one point in our life it meant a whole lot and I totally get it. And that's why it's heartbreaking when you find out it's phony. It's phony. And you're walking around and, you're, and it's, it's, it's devastating. Yes. My life has been a lot. And, you, and, and, and by the way, the, the temptation is to, to, to hate somebody. To hate your Christian friends, to hate your Christian pastor, to hate your Christian church. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's not their fault. All they're doing is doing what they, what they, they believe is true. And no one's told them any different. No one's, no one's had the courage to tell them any different. There's pastors today, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, trust me, who everything I'm saying right now, they know is absolute fact. But they're scared to say it because they don't want to lose their church. But here's the thing. If everybody would just stand up in unison and just say, yep, all that stuff is not real, but here's the real thing. We w- people wouldn't leave. They'd say thank you. I didn't realize I didn't have the real thing. Yes. I've been eating margarine all this time. I didn't realize. I re- didn't even know there was butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you one. <have> <laughs> Listen. It's the, it's it's not the <clears throat> the primary reasons why Messiah is rejected today is because of Torah. It's not the esoteric things. We can, de- we can debate about that. Jews can have debates about, about whether the Messiah is divine or human. We, he's definitely divine. The scripture tells us you can't put your trust in a human. So pretty much that is that discussion. Yes. We just read, I just read that in the psalm today, yep. Psalm 146. Yeah. We can have these discussions. But here's what Judaism cannot and will not tolerate because it's against the Bible. That's our standard. You have to have an anchor. Right. Yes. Your anchor has to be the Word of God. Yeah. Now, there's, we, have, we have libraries full of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000-year-old thousand commentaries. And we can talk about behind-the-scenes stuff. And we can get an insight from this rabbi, an insight from that rabbi. We can see things from different perspectives and angles. And we can analyze and all this kind of stuff. But one thing doesn't change. That's the Word of God. Yeah. Yeah. The same God that said, I'm against homosexuality is the same God that said, don't eat pork chops. The same God that said, don't murder is the same God who said, wear a tzitzit. The same God who said that um, stealing is sinful is the same God who said, keep this out. The same God. And he doesn't change. And so Judaism can tolerate these discussions about Messiah. You think he's going to be this and he's going to do that and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes Jews don't know what they believe in Messiah because they, certain things have been withheld from them too because it sounds too Yeshua-like. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing that you can't mess with is Torah. So when the Messiah comes along and says, do away with all God's festivals, and I want you to keep all the festivals of Rome and, and the Nordic gods and the Celts and, and the Eastern mysticism, that's a disqualifier. When he comes around and says, it doesn't matter what you eat anymore, just eat whatever you want, that's a disqualifier. You know why? Because it's sin. That's the problem. It's sin. He told the woman caught in adultery, I forgive you. Now go and do what? Sin no more. You know, I was forgiven one time. I, I told this story before, but it's just, it's just so simple I had to tell it. It's just it's simplistic. It's not, it's not, it's not hard. At one point in my life, I had a commercial driver's license because I used to drive a big truck a long, long time ago. And I kept the commercial driver's license because, you know, I earned it. It's not easy to get that. And so uh, I kept it. So one day I was driving through Denton. I was already in full-time ministry. I was driving through Denton. I got a speeding ticket. And because I had a commercial driver's license, you know, you you don't have the regular uh, things you can do to get rid of that. You pretty much have to pay it, and then your insurance goes up. So I had this plan, and my plan was real simple. I was going to get dressed up in a nice suit, <coughs> and I was going to go to the municipal court and beg for mercy. I was going to go down there and just tell the judge, yes, sir, I was feeding. And I'm, I was, I'm, don't deny that. And I'm just asking if there's anything I can do to remedy this because of my commercial driver's license. That was my big plan. And I had everything in my mind what I was going to say to the judge and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so my time to appear came. And so I went down there and registered. And I'm sitting in the courtroom waiting my turn. And all of a sudden, the uh, little city attorney called me into her office. And I walked in and I sat down. I didn't say anything. I didn't say I I didn't get a chance to open my mouth. She opens my file. She looks at it. She says, well, I see that the officer gave you a little bit of a grace. You know, you were allegedly going this fast. He deducted. Like five or ten miles an hour or whatever it was and gave wrote you a ticket for this. I think I'll just go the rest of the way and just dismiss the whole ticket. And I'm just sitting there like, but I haven't given my speech yet. I, I, I promise you, this is how it went down. And then she said to me, this isn't God. She says, and by the way, are you still driving a truck? And I said, no ma'am, I haven't done that quite some time. She says, I would recommend going back to a regular driver's license because it puts you in a predicament. If you ever get a ticket, you can't, you know, remediate it. And I'm like, yes, Lord, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> walked down, judged on the paper, I walked out the door. When I got in my car, I knew at that moment that speed limits no longer were valid for me. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Right. Because I've been forgiven the sin of speeding, I realized that now I can speed anywhere and everywhere oh, no. in the state of Texas because I've been forgiven. So I burned rubber out of that parking lot, and in the 30-mile-an-hour zone, I was going 85 and was going, woo, Freedom! with the sunset's free. It's free indeed. <laughs> Theology. Theology teaches that. Oh, wow. Actually, that's not what happened. <laughs> I walked out of that courtroom and I was like, thank you, Hashem. Wow, what just happened? I got in my car and in the 30 mile riz- hour zone, I set the cruise control. <laughs> and people were honking up at me, and I'm like, go around, baby, go around. <laughs> Somebody passed me on a bicycle. I'm like, hey, woo! I don't even care. Nothing to prove, baby. Nothing to prove. See, in that instance, and it's real, it's real, it's true. Everything God knows is true. In that instance, the being forgiven made me want to now obey the law even more. And that's what the gospel is. It's so simple. It's easy. But we make it hard and we make it illogical. And frankly, it's not because we're bad people. It's just because of the Satan who's playing on our self right. Because we don't want rules. We want just what's right. We want, we want just to be, we want to be able to do whatever we want to That's right. Self-worship. Now, I want to share this story with you. Because I mentioned King David. And I think it's powerful. We have to understand that Messiah was rejected. So keep, so keep this in mind, too. Let's, let's look at this, too. Because a lot of people come in this way of life. And we, we fall in love with Judaism, as we should. I mean, we're, this is a sect of Judaism. Yeshua was a Jew who practiced Judaism. That's important. Amen. Think about this for a minute. Can we just, just use, use logic? Amen, amen. Okay, not that you're, you don't, but let's just engage it right now, because sometimes we don't. The scripture, the gospels, the scripture tells us that Hashem chose two uh, Jewish observant God fearing people to be the mommy and daddy of Yeshua on the earth if he didn't care about his own law why would that have even been a prerequisite he should have just got some Hellenistic kind of secular Jews to raise Yeshua because Yeshua is going to grow up and just say the Torah is a bunch of nonsense anyway it was was God's big oopsie and then of course we mentioned the thing about God gave us the law, we broke it, as a result, we're on our way to hell. Yeshua comes and tells us, we broke the law because we couldn't help it, which is why we're going to hell, which is really brutal because we're doing something we couldn't help, so we're going to hell because we couldn't help it. So he has to set us free from that which we couldn't help, so that we can do nothing, because that's what we can do because we can't help but do nothing. Now, if you could follow that, mazel (laughs) Here's what makes more sense. He gave us a law. We could keep it. We chose not to. We're destined for hell. He came to forgive us, set us free, make us keep his law again. That's actually what the Bible says. It says three times in the book of Ezekiel that he's going to renew us, cleanse us, and cause us to follow his Torah. And in the book of Revelation... It says twice that the Satan is going to come against those who believe in Yeshua and follow the Torah. It says it twice in the book of Revelation. The dragon is going to come and fight against those who believe in Yeshua and keep the Torah. Now, people come into this movement and they love Judaism and they fall in love with it. And it puts you in a challenging spot mm-hmm. because on the christian side you're generally kind of rejected you're 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 like yeah it's it's really not yeah we're praying for you yeah <laughs> right yeah. on the jewish side you're rejected because you believe in yeshua mm-hmm. and so it creates a difficult spot and people have fallen away on both sides because they care more about the opinion of people than they do about the truth of God. Right. I want to be over here in the Jewish club and I want to be accepted, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw Messiah under the bus. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be praised by men than accepted by God. And we forget that Yeshua said, we got to do something about these lights, guys. This is killing me. Just note this up. Um, we, we forget that Yeshua said, they're going to hate you for my sake. If the brothers hated Yosef, and we're with Yosef, and he said, you're going to be rejected for my sake. And Yeshua said, whoever does not confess me before men, I will deny before my father. We forget that. We forget that. And a lot of people are like, well, I want to, I want to deny him so I can be in the Jewish club. Or I want to deny him because I want to be in the Christian club. And Yeshua says, either way, you can't deny me. And the danger a lot on the Christian side is we hear the truth, but we reject it because it's just more comfortable to join into the party with everybody. It's hard to be weird. To be the one guy or one gal... In your world, who's lighting a Hanukkah and not putting up a Christmas tree. It's weird. Or your family. It's uncomfortable. Listen, we know. We get it. You have to navigate that. And it's sometimes precarious. You have to navigate your family when they invite you over. And you're like, uh oh. You have to ask God for wisdom. How can you be a light and not be offended? And yet, at the same time, not compromise. Over here, you can't deny Messiah, God, but by saying, yeah, he's not the Mashiach, or he's only human, or whatever it is I'm trying to do to make you like me. You can't deny it. So if you're looking for that place where you fulfill the scripture, where you kind of feel like you're in a tight spot, this is the place. This is a narrow path. Now, I want to share this really quickly because... This is about the birth of David, and I think that people don't know this story. This is about Netzebens, his mother, and here's the story. I'll just spend the, the rest of the time here sharing this with you. So it says, why was it that young David was so reviled by his brothers and by everybody else? David was hated, despised, rejected. It says, To understand the hatred directed toward David, we need to investigate the inner workings behind the events and secret episodes that are not recorded in our books, but are recorded in the Midrashim. David's father, Yishai, was the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. After several years of marriage (laughs) to his wife, Nezevit, and after having raised several virtuous children, Yishai began to entertain personal doubts about his ancestry. True, he was leading it, he was a big-time Torah authority in his day. His grandmother was Ruth, who was a convert from the tribe of Moab, as related in the book of Ruth. And during Ruth's lifetime, many individuals were doubtful about the legitimacy of her marriage to Boaz. Because a Jewish man cannot marry a non-Jewish woman. The Torah specifically forbids an Israelite to marry a Moabite convert. By the way, can I just pause here and say, so we we talk about Messiah and we say he's going to, I'm the bride of Christ and I'm a a non-Jew. It is forbidden by Torah law for a Jewish man to marry a non-Jewish woman. So if the bride of Messiah is non-Jewish. Let me say that again. If the bride of Messiah is non-Jewish, he is breaking Torah law by being married to us, and it's an impossibility. I didn't write that. It's in the Bible. So anyway, I digress. It says here, David's father, Yishai, was the grandson. He began to doubt, and other people doubted Ruth's uh, legitimacy. It says, Boaz and the sages understood this law as per saying that a Jewish, excuse me, a Moabite female could enter, but not a, a, a man. This was given as an interpretation of the oral Torah as forbidding intermarriage between convert male Moabites, but not females. But this law was relatively unknown to the masses. Boaz died the night of his wedding to Ruth, and Ruth conceived and subsequently gave birth to their son Ovid, who was the father of Yishai. Some rebel rousers at the time claimed that Boaz's death verified that his marriage to Ruth was a sin. So time would prove differently. Once Ovid, who's called Ovid because he's servant of God, and later Yeshai and his offspring were born, the righteous conduct and the prestigious position of these people proved that they were legitimately godly. However, later in life, doubt gripped Yeshai's heart gnawing away at the very foundation of his ex- existence. So being the sincere individual that he was, he uh, decided to take action. So it says, he decided since his situation was, was questionable, Yishai wanted to have a child who was, had legitimacy, legitimate ancestry, so he divorced his wife, Nekevich. So, however, Nikovit, at some point, basically snuck in, unbeknownst to him, basically posing as his new wife, and she conceived David. In kind of a, a, like a Leia type episode, if you will. After three months, Nikovit's pregnancy became obvious. And incensed, her sons wanted to kill her because they figured she's an adulteress; that the child is illegitimate. Nikaevit on her part would not embarrass her husband by revealing the truth of what had occurred, just like her ancestress Tamar did not want to. And so she was prepared to be burned alive rather than who was who was prepared to be burned alive rather than embarrass Yehuda. Nikaevit chose therefore a vow of silence. So unaware of the truth behind his wife's pregnancy, but having compassion on her, Yishai ordered his sons not to touch her, don't kill her, instead let the child that will be born be treated as a lowly, despised servant. So from the time of David's birth onward, Nezebeth's son was treated by his brothers as an abominable outcast. Noting the conduct of his brothers, the rest of the community assumed that this youth was a treacherous sinner full of unspeakable guilt. On the infrequent occasion that Nezebet's son would return from the pastures to his home in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, he was shunned by the townspeople. If something was lost or stolen, he was accused as the natural culprit and ordered into the words of the psalm to repay what I have not stolen. So whenever he came to town, they just said, if something was missing, they said, David stolen. It goes on to say here that Yishai had him way out in the pastures and tending the sheep way out in the wilderness, hoping that a wild animal would kill him and therefore rid the family of this big disgrace. And of course, to kind of continue on here, when the big prophet Samuel showed up and he said... I want all of your sons to appear and we're not going to sit down to eat until they're all here. Yishai went and brought all of his sons in and left David in the field. You ever, ever think about that? Here's the big prophet of God. I mean, when Remember the text. When Samuel showed up to the town, the elders were like, ha, 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 Hi, are you here for peace? Please say yes. I mean, this guy was nobody to be messed with. He was the judge of Israel, and he said, "Gather your sons," and Yishai gathered his sons, but he left David out in the field. Why? Because, as far as he was concerned, that's not his son. That's right. And so, <clears throat> David, David, of course, wasn't there, and God showed him that there's these are not it. And so, finally, he said to Yishai, "Do you have any other sons?" And Yishai had to admit, well, there's this kid, David. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, he is mine because my wife had him. And Samuel said, bring him here. <clears throat> so it said, at first, Samuel doubted whether David could be one worthy of the kingship, a forerunner of the dynasty that would lead to the Jewish people. All the way to the end of time. He thought to himself, this one will, be, will shed blood as did the redhead of Esau. God saw, however, that David's greatness was that he would direct his aggressiveness towards positive aims. So he told Samuel, my anointed one is standing before you and you remain seated. Arise and anoint David without delay, for he is the one I have chosen. As Samuel held the horn of oil, it says, the Midrash Rabbah says, the oil began to bubble up. As if it wanted to leap from the horn onto David's head. When Samuel anointed him, the oil hardened and glistened and became pearl like, like precious stones, and they fell all around the feet of David. As Samuel anointed David, the sound of weeping could be heard from outside the great hall. It was the voice of Netzibet, David's lone supporter and solitary source of comfort. Her 28 year long years of silence in the face of humiliation were finally coming to a close as God had testified, This is my anointed, and he is holy from the loin of Yeshua. And Netzavet exclaimed as she hid behind a wall, crying, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Amen. Father, we thank you, tonight that Messiah Yeshua is the stone the builders rejected, and he is our cornerstone. Help us, Father, to honor him. And Hashem, we all have adjustments to make. We all have things to learn and things to unlearn. We ask you, Father God, to help us with these things and teach us these things. And Father, we submit it to your Holy Spirit. We ask you in the merit of Messiah Yeshua to give us wisdom and grace. And when we relate these things to our friends and family and even strangers, help us to do so with love and grace and most of all, true concern and true desire for them to enter into the blessed covenant of our father Abraham and the merit of the Messiah, shall we pray, Amen. amen.